Welcome to the Anonymous Podcast. This episode will be a living clean study and commentary. The aim is to provide insight to and context of the material within our book, Living Clean. This is not a meeting of Narcotics Anonymous. However, there will be some similarities in how the study will be conducted. Each study will have the audio recorded and then published to the Anonymous Podcast. The overall goal is to provide a commentary of the text towards reaching those seeking a resource like this. If one person benefits from our efforts, including us, then our participation will be well worth the effort. We'll have the introductions, and then we'll jump into the text. Enjoy. Welcome back, everyone. This is a Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast. This is episode 39. We're going to begin on page 136, all the way at the bottom with some people regard. But first, we're going to give our introductions. Lee P., jump in and introduce yourself, please. Thank you, Doug. I'm Lee Attic. Uh from New Orleans, Louisiana. My clean date is August 27, 1987. Thank you. Thanks, Lee. So, Paul? Hi, Douglas. I'm Paul. I'm an addict. Uh, I also am from New Orleans, Louisiana. My clean date is January 6, 1995, and my home group is the Open Mind Group. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. What's happening, Barb? Hey, Douglas. I'm Barb R. I live in the Panhandle of Florida. My clean date is 10-4-95, and my home group is the Open Mind. All right, all the way around. Thanks, Barb. And our guest this evening is Scotty H. What's up, Scotty? Hey, man. What's up, man? Uh, Scotty Higginbot- Oh, Scotty H. Excuse me. Clean date is 4-26-2014 from Lake Charles, Louisiana, and Agape Group of Lake Charles is my home group. Thanks okay. for having me. Yeah, glad you can make it, Scotty. And I'm an addict named Douglas. I got clean March 12, 2000 in Southwestern PA, and I stay in the Raleigh, North Carolina area now. All right, folks, let's get started. Episode 39, Living Clean Study for the Anonymous Podcast. We're on page 136, all the way at the bottom, some people regard. And Barb's going to facilitate. Take it away, Barb. Hey, everybody. I'm Barbar, an addict. And Douglas, would you, start, would you start us off with some people? Yeah, Please. sure. You got it. Some people regard... The whole fellowship as a family, uh, there are usually one or two in an area who will say hi, family, when they begin to share. But some of us are uncomfortable with this, especially if our own families were violent or unsafe, or if we have experience in other kinds of groups that made demands of loyalty from their members. The talk of family makes NA seem dangerous in those ways. That demands uh, will be made of us, that we will be asked to compromise ourselves or put ourselves in harm's way for the family. To some of us, it's not threatening at all. It just sounds a little cheesy. We may not even have language to describe the kind of connections we have in NA, especially after we, we've been around for a while. We walk with, you, with each other uh, through the day-to-day struggles of our lives. Romance and heartbreaks, births and deaths, our sense of connection deepens into kinship. We may not always have the kind of intensity in our relationships that we do in the first few years, but the depth that grows in its place is also beautiful. When those people who are part of our early recovery continue uh, to be part of our lives, time adds something to those relationships that nothing else can. We have long friendships that have withered terrible storms, people we see twice a year, but who pick up where we left off as if no time has passed. People who save our lives and we don't see them again for a year or a decade. People who are woven completely into our daily lives. Um, These are deep emotional connections that exceed what we think of this friendship, but don't quite match what we mean by family either. Um, my comments are going to be on this. On the first paragraph, I think it's, I, I mean, for me, if, if I had to learn really quick, if, if, um, if something just, just doesn't really fit for me, um, I remember old timers telling tell me in one situation to wear it like a loose coat. And I heard that analogy so often, man, years ago, haven't heard it for a long time. But in the, in the spirit of that is like, hey, look, I, you know, I, I can, I can experience something. And, and so this example was, you know, people talking, hey, family, or you, or, or I hear some, some folks refer to their sponsor, like women will refer to their sponsor as mom or something, you know what I mean? And then, and then guys will call, you know, that, that different lingo or whatever. Um, I don't really have a problem with it. My, my, my family, my upbringing, it was just hostile people. We were to Paul and I were just talking about that yesterday. You know, we were talking like our, our brains and stuff. Mine was pretty hostile, man. It wasn't. It wasn't like a hey, you know, let's cuddle up on the couch. Tell me what you did today. It was like, man, what the fuck's wrong with you? 
Like that was said more than you're going to do something with your life. You know what I'm saying? It's like, what the fuck is going on with you? But I, I, I don't have experience with that. But, you know, when, when people do talk about things, I guess what the closest experience I have is when affluent people talk about their money, you know, and, and, and I could put that in, in terms about this. I, I kind of feel like how, how um, the text talks and says, ooh, that's a cringy feeling. Man, I, I, I got that getting clean and I still get that a little bit now. What I've learned to do, though, is wear it like a loose coat. I mean, they're, they can share what they share. Doesn't It's okay, man. It's all, it's all good. So I would encourage people, if they're listening, and if someone's at the meeting and says, hi, family, you get that cringe feeling, I can identify in some kind of way, not that specific. Sit, stick around. Um, you know, it's okay, endure it. But on the second paragraph, man, I think that's really, really good. I, I have, um, I went to a meeting with Brian a couple of weeks ago. And I was talking about it here briefly too, but but I went to this meeting five five guys who were there when I got 12 step were still clean and still down there man you know in 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 like the richness of the message they carry bro it it transported me back 22 years man listen to those guys sit around talking and telling stories it's beautiful man it's just a beautiful thing and um and absolutely what's in here I have friends and people that I've that I experience life with daily that are just so woven into my life. It would be hard pressed to almost think about like if they weren't in my life right now, you know what I'm, and, and, and also the other's true. Have I, yeah, I have people in my life. If we talk twice a year, but I'll be damned if we don't talk for two hours and we catch up on everything, just like we were talking yesterday, you know, and, and uh, I really live a rich life, man. My, my, with, with the, with the people in my life and the quality of those relationships, I'm a very, very rich man. And, uh, and that was something that I could not, would not, there was no way you would convince me. If you gave me that car salesman approach when I got clean and you told me I would be able to have all that, there was no way I didn't feel like I could deserve it. I didn't feel like I had anything inside to be worthy of it, you know, and, and, and be capable of doing it. But I stayed clean long enough, man, listen to you folks long enough to, to experience those relationships. And then the last comment, and I'll kick it over. Uh, the last comment is, is this, um, what does it say about the, the turmoil? Um, and in here, I can't pick it up just right now, but one of the beautiful things about having friendships and having relationships are the little fights, are the disagreements, are the shit that, that, hey man, how can you even look at something that way? And on the other end of it, you're still friends. Like they're still my friend, I'm still their friend. We're still, we're still as close as, as ever. I don't see how they could see it that way. They don't see how I could see it. Are we are we telling we we love each other the next day? Yep, for sure. That's that's a to me that's a really powerful lesson, man. So so those are going to be my comments, Barb. I'll pass. Thanks, Douglas Lee. Thanks, Barb. Um, Doug, I agree with something you said. Um, my family life growing up. <laughs> was not a warm, fuzzy, let's hug it out kind of environment. Uh, when I detoxed off of a, an opiate as a kid at around 13 years old, my family invited you know, people who came over, go in there and beat his ass. He's been playing with drugs. And my siblings, my, I'm the youngest. I, so, you know, uh, when I heard somebody identify, hey, family, I was like, whoa, you know, you're not my effing family. And, and, and it's, a, it's a toss up now between being cheesy, like it says, and there's some parts in here that I wanna comment on. We may not even have language to describe the kinds of connections we have in NA, especially after we have been around, after we have been around for a while. Well, there's a, there's a man on the screen right here. I think we've been friends for 30 something years with a 33 years. Hey, Eva, I love you. Um, with a small break in it, but the next time I saw him four or five years later, however long it was, it was just like that no time had passed. Um, there's a, another person that I see quite regularly who is my business partner. He says, I was the first person that welcomed him in NA. Um, and I've sponsored him his entire clean time, which is which is over 30 years. 
And so that, that kind of leads me into when those people who are part of our early recovery continue to be part of our lives, our lives, time adds something to those relationships that nothing else can. And, and even if you knew and you're listening, that is a that is a jewel, a gift of this process. You know, we, we come here to get off drugs and, and, and stop the the beatdown. I came here to stop the beatdown that that dope was giving me. But as a as a gift, as a a diamond, I was given these these people, you you guys, um, who who have enhanced my life tremendously over all this time. So I don't even know if I have like the words I really want to say because I'm feeling it more than I can say it. That that happens too sometimes in, in this process that that uh, I think in the basic text it says we lack the superlatives. So yeah, um, if, you're, if you're new or if you're not new, uh, you can look forward to having wonderful lifelong lifelong relationships and people do become like family, like, like your boys, Doug, when we were at that function, you know, I mean, they, I, I, I'm very hypervigilant when children are around. So I'm always paying attention to what they're doing. And, and that's something I didn't have before I came to NA. I, I pay attention now. I want to protect and, uh, and, and love people. So that's plenty out of me for now. Thanks. Thanks, Lee. Anybody else? Scotty, would you pick up on 137 as we stay clean and read a couple of paragraphs for us, please? Certainly. I'm Scotty. I'm an addict. As we stay clean and build longstanding relationships, we experience a kind of safety we could not have imagined before. We know one another as well as anyone knows us. We have watched each other grow up and grow old. And in, and in the lines on our... In, on one's, one another's faces, we see the laughs and struggles we have shared over all that time. We may be incredibly close at some times and further apart at others, but there is something about just knowing we have each other that makes us feel a little less alone in the world. That love and connection feels as deep as any we have experienced. The ways that we love in recovery can be intense and beautiful. We learn to love others, not, not just our fellow addicts, but our families and those around us with the power we might never have imagined. Many of us turned away from love and our addiction. Those who loved us just made us feel ashamed. In our, in our self-obsession, there was no such thing as enough. And the ways we were loved, and the ways we were loved never seemed adequate to our ever-growing needs and demands. When there was sufficient care, concern, and support, we exploited it. Some of us were raised in addicted households or in other circumstances where we never really felt love at all, or where it would come and go so randomly that we learned not to trust it. Well, I'm Scotty, I'm an addict, and man, that, um, that pretty much hits home for me. Um, mainly, I was, I was raised in a very, um, it was loving from the outside, but the inside, like I never, I don't remember my father ever saying I love you, or my mother ever saying I love you love you. We didn't touch. We didn't hug. We didn't, um, I don't remember any, any, any kind of affection at all. We were very, very super religious and super modest. And, um, and that, uh, and so in my later relationships, I, I was the opposite of the way I was, I was raised. So I just, you know, I, 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 when I got to Narcotics Anonymous and started learning about relationships, I learned balance. I learned that balance that I needed to get. Um, and you people taught me how to get balance. Um, in some of those relationships, when it was okay to hug, when it was not okay to hug, you know, what's appropriate to say to a, uh, to a lady, what's not appropriate to say to a lady, you know, I didn't know a lot of those things, um, because I was, I was going against everything that I was raised with, and, and, you know, and, and, it, and it says the way we love in, in, in recovery can be intense and beautiful, you know, go back to something that was, that was mentioned a minute ago about some of the relationships, I'm, I'm, I'm the youngest person in this group, with seven years and eleven months, so I don't have the longevity in this program um, that, that you know that, that you great people have. Um, but what I can speak to is the intensity of the relationships when I first got here, because that's so that's so fresh to me. That intensity in my first five years was just enormous. I made some of the most 
um, impressionable relationships. And some of those relationships aren't true today. I've moved on to different kind of, those relationships are a lot different. I've, I've learned today what I'm willing to handle and what I'm willing to take in a relationship. I'm willing to, um, what I'm willing to, how I'm willing to be treated in a relationship. And that's what Narcotics Anonymous has told me, has taught me. One of the, the greatest things that I've experienced over the past year, um, one, of my, one of my best friends who's got five years recently lost her son to overdose. He took one pill and died. Well, she asked me, she asked me to perform the service for his funeral. You know, and we've only known each other three years. And so our friendship is that strong today that I was able to stand up and speak to her, speak for her family when her 22 year old son died. You know, I, I don't think I'll ever have that kind of bond with another with another woman or another family, you know, in that manner. But I'm able to to have those bonds and those relationships and other factions of my life as well. And that's only because um, you guys taught me how to do that. You guys taught me how to love again. You told me that it was OK to love again. Um, and that's been um, that's been really true for me this past this past couple of years. That's, that's all I've got. Thank you. Thanks, Scotty. Paul. So we get into this nature versus nurture kind of thing that, you know, most social scientists are all, you know, what what is the diction? Where does it come from? All of this kind of back and forth. I grew up in a very loving household. Both of my parents were <clears throat> very accepting, very loving. Um, when they found out I was HIV positive, their reaction to that was to uh, join a group that took care of people dying of AIDS. And this was back in the 80s and 90s. This that was kind of groundbreaking work at the time. It, you know, um, you know, we forget about stuff like that. So their reaction was never not loving. And I have a hard time receiving love. I get scared. I get the feeling that it's not, I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Uh, you know, Lee's my sponsor. We have, I, I, I've filled notebooks with this, you know? And look, and the truth, the truth is the process works. I have work steps. I have. I continue to work the process. I continue to work steps. I continue to re remove layers of the onion, and it is much better than it was 27 years ago. But that is that is something that I still carry. I still carry, and I still have to kind of work that process. And left to my own devices, and without a process, and without the 12 steps, and without a fellowship, I would revert to the closed off, don't come near, I'm not enough, you don't really mean it kind of way I look at love. And so, um, so God knows if I'd had, you know, the, the family we've been talking about here earlier, you know what I mean? That kind of thing, because I'm, I, I received it and I still can't receive it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, so that's the that's the that's the weird thing about this because it makes sense for you all for you all to struggle. Why am I struggling? Why am I struggling? Because I have a disease that says enough is not in my vocabulary. My enoughness, their love for me's enoughness. You know, I mean, we talk about it in meetings. Is ninety nine percent of the people go love you love you love you keep coming back and there's one person in the corner and they go yeah <laughs> and all i can think about is where did the yeah come from why don't they love me let's i'm gonna go over there i'm gonna start talking i'm gonna shake them i'm gonna make them oh my god why why is it never enough? And it isn't, it is never enough. And that's why I'm here. That's why I continue to do this. So thanks. And Barbara and Eddie, that's good, Paul. My, my message, and I've said it before, is I'm not lovable. And my, my um, family was dysfunctional is, dysfunctional is generational. That's what I've learned, you know, through therapy and my own family. And my mom um, was emotionally unavailable, never said, I love you. And what I realized many years later is she loved me to death. 
you know, but I did not see that, you know, and I, and my mom was probably the, the greatest love of my life. I, I proceeded in, um, to be a, a juvenile delinquent and it was like, I'll fix you, I'll hurt me. You know, and I did that for many years, you know, doing destructive behaviors to get back at my mom. And she was always there, codependent, but always, you know. And and so it was only till I came into recovery. When you guys said, welcome home, I'm like, what the fuck are they talking about? You know, but today I know that it is welcome home. When I walk in a meeting, you know, um, I am home, you know. And today um, it has got better. Like Paul said, I still, those core beliefs, those childhood things, that I'm not good enough, I'm not important because nobody listened to me when I was a kid. So I'm not worth listening to. I'm not lovable because my mom, I didn't perceive that she loved me. That stuff is ingrained so deep and I've done therapy, I've done the steps on it, but it's it's a lot better, you know? And today I know to, um, when, when those messages come up to make myself walk through that and say, I am lovable and, and to embrace that person. You know, you guys taught me that. I never said, I love you till I came in the rooms. You know, never, you guys taught me how to hug. You taught me now, did my mom not love me? No, she loved me, you know, but she, she didn't know how to give it to me, you know? And I passed it on to my son a little bit. He's a little emotionally unavailable. He was raised by strong women in recovery. His dad was around some, you know, if you if you have guys in a in a group of women, Nick will go sit right in the middle of the women in recovery, you know, because that's how he was raised, you know, but he can be emotionally unavailable. So the dysfunction, I see that I passed it on some, you know, and my first therapist told me, Barb, you won't break that cycle. You'll break some of it and then he'll break some of it, you know, but you'll start it, you know, and that's enough today. And today I am lovable. Today, when the first time I did the steps a couple of times, when it came to that assets part, there was none, none, none. I just did them with the girl and she had no assets. I said, go back and think of some, you know, but today I can make assets. I can make a list of assets, you know, and when that tape comes up, you're not lovable. You know, they want something. They're just being phony. You know, I can say, no, Barb, you know, they do, you know, you are lovable. You know, I, I got 26 years of stuff, esteemable stuff that I've done that I am that I am lovable, you know, so um, that's what I do today. I got to, the self-talk is powerful, you know, and I've learned to shut that self-talk down and to, to say the message that I want to put to take its place, you know, and I am lovable. I am worth listening to and I am enough today, you know, and um, and that's pretty awesome. You know, that's pretty awesome. And I believe that that's what recovery gives you. Where deep down inside, when my disease tells me that shit, I know in my heart, I know that. I know I am worthy. You know, you guys told me all that shit. God don't make junk, you know, all that. And I know that, you know. So um, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks. Anybody else? Eva, go ahead. Welcome, Eva. Hi everybody, um, Eva P here from Salem, Oregon. Um, I do meetings in the Salem area. My home group is the Do It Hard meeting and my clean date is 6-10-2000. So um, sorry to rush all that, but I wanted to get that out. Before I um, got to this, where it says we may be incredibly close at some times and further apart at others, but there is something about just knowing we have each other that makes us feel a little less alone in the world. Um, that love and connection feels as deep as any we have, have experienced. And I can say this, that um, more than half of the time, I would rather be with my dogs than human beings. Sorry guys. But um, if I'm gonna be around people, I wanna be around people in recovery. Because look, I always know y'all are here for me even sometimes when I'm not that likable, right? Like I'm not that, like I, I'm not always that nice. I'm sorry. Like I hear you. Yeah. It's hard for me to receive love and I don't always think I deserve it and all that, but, uh, sometimes I'm just a brat and, um, and you guys love me anyways, right? You, you walk me through it. My sponsor says, um, <laughs> so I'm texting her today and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. F this, I'm just going to quit. And she's like, I think we need to talk about that some more. And I'm like, 
I thought sometimes you were just my sounding board and that I got to make my own decisions when I grew up and was 20. And she's like, not when they're bad decisions. Because <laughs> she loves me even when I'm a brat, right? So um, sometimes I feel incredibly close to everybody in, in the rooms and I can't wait. I almost said I can't wait to get to area, but that, um, meh. Sometimes it's kind of hot and cold, right? It's usually lukewarm. Like, I'm excited to see most people. Um, and I bet some people are thinking, I'm excited to see most people. And then there's Eva. <laughs> and that's okay. I'm not everybody's cup of tea. But, um, but you know what? I know I could call anybody in that damn room when I am, you know, like, doing really bad or so good that 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 it looks good to not be here anymore. You know what I'm saying? Because um, I can celebrate my way right out of recovery too. Um, and people have loved me through that. Like you're making some bad speeches even though you're doing really good. <laughs> and so when I read that tonight, um, you know, I came in a little bit late. I'm trying to get caught up and I just had to take a second and just, you know, just read it. and. I can be incredibly close to people in recovery. Like I feel incredibly close to this group of pe people right here in these squares. And, um, and sometimes I don't feel as close to the people in my area, right? But just knowing that they're there, if I need them is something that is incredible. Like I've never felt before in my life. Like I, uh, I don't know. I'm just so grateful for Narcotics Anonymous, and and it doesn't even have to be. When I was driving truck over the road, it didn't. I, I didn't have. I felt like I didn't have an area, you know, because I was in a different town every day, and um, but I could go to a meeting anywhere, and you people understood me and loved me for where I was at and who I was, and just because you know I came into the rooms in your own way, right? And that kind of taught me that I can I can receive a type of love that I never have before. And that um that I and I could give that type of love too. Like when somebody walks in and they're just feeling like they can't make it another day or another minute, I could love them right where they're at. Because I've been there. I don't even have to know that much about them. Most of the time, I don't know their last names. I couldn't tell you most people's last names still because it don't matter. It does not matter. So that's what I got when I, when I came into the podcast tonight was that little few lines. So that's all I'm going to share on that. Thanks. Thanks, Eva. Paul, you want to read the next two, please? Relationships are always evolving and we are continually in new territory as our relationships grow and deepen. There will always be mistakes. Being able to recognize errors, clean them up and move on is a gift of the 10th step. And it's not just that we are able to keep small problems from getting bigger. We struggle with the belief that we're not good enough. Minor problems in a relationship can magnify our sense that we are inadequate, unlovable, or unworthy. <laughs> inadequate, unlovable, or unworthy. Even with many years clean, we alternate between avoiding responsibility for a problem and believing that it's all our fault. Surrender frees us from the feeling that we must constantly make up for being so awful. We can deal with our part, surrender, and let go of the rest. Accepting that we make mistakes and that we are not the end that is and that they are not the end of the world or the end of a relationship is part of coming to terms with our own humanity. We can share honestly who we are beyond our addiction. We are human beings, members of society who have gifts and flaws like everyone else. We are capable of loving and being loved, of caring for others and contributing to their well-being. In the process, we build relationships with ourselves, our fellow members, and our higher power. In the end, what is happening 
is that I feel loved and supported while learning to have honest relationships without secrets or manipulation. Secure in the love of the fellowship, my heart is unfreezing. Wow, wow. So I come to the fellowship based on lies. Everything in my life is a lie, right? So, and you know, they they talk about that you could you tell a lie even when the truth would be sufficient. I think there's another fellowship that uses that phrase. So that and it was it was absolutely truth because of what Barb and I were talking about that unworthiness that everything had to be augmented. Everything had to be just a little more because what was real was not enough. So if you said Egypt, oh, I've been to Egypt. I've never been to Egypt. Oh, I've been to Egypt, blah, blah, blah. No, you don't have to say, you don't have to say you've been to Egypt. You've never been to Egypt, but you could not, how I was, was not enough. So there was, a, there was this web of lies. And the fear was, if you, got, if you found out what was underneath that, I wouldn't be a part of, I wouldn't be accepted, I wouldn't be loved, all of that. And so I walk into Narcotics Anonymous and there seems to be people telling the truth about what's going on in their lives. And that is both off-putting and exhilarating all at the same time. It is scary. And, um, and that's what, that's what happens that, you know, Scotty was talking about in those first five years is to detangle all of these lies and just be who you are is it feels raw and it feels like unburdening all at the same time. And, um, and if you're in that mode right now, you gotta let things just It'll get better. It'll get you. It'll. It feels like everything. Everything hurts. You know, it's like fresh skin. You know, it's very tender. And and, and here's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something. And somebody's going to just hit that that new skin, and it's going to hurt. And you're going to go, oh no, and you're going to want to. It's it's not just that person. It's those people in NA are the problem, right? And everything in your being is going to say, let's get out of here. Let's run. And it happens to everybody. And, and, and if you can just ride that out, talk to people, talk to somebody, share how you're feeling about it and just stay in your seat, you know? Just like you did when you first got clean. You know, the, the, you, I had to plant my hands underneath the seat I was sitting in just so I wouldn't walk out of the meeting, you know? If you can do that in those relationships, you can move past that. And, and that will be so freeing. I, I, I spent my whole life avoiding people that I had fallen out with. That if, you know, instead of walking straight across the French Quarter, I had to take this circuitous route because I couldn't go on this block because I owed this person money and I couldn't go on this block because I had had a yelling, screaming match the week before and I couldn't go here and I couldn't. Just the energy to keep up with all of that drama is exhausting. And that's the good thought about the relationships now is we have this 10th step and we have this ability to go, hey, let's fix this. And promptly admitted it is the key, right? Because <laughs> I can hold on to some shit for a while and, and rub it all over and go, oh, it doesn't smell like shit. You know, what? like a monkey or something in a cage, you know, rub the shit all over and just be like, throw the poop and all. And all of a sudden you can't smell it anymore. And I don't have to do that. I don't have to live like that. So, uh, yeah. And the friendships that I have in this fellowship are beyond understanding. You know, we started this talking about family. I'm an only child. So I don't have this kind of what, 
what does family mean? You know, I was I, I lived I lived in this kind of fantasy world, a little gay fat boy, you know, who just kind of made up his his life. And uh, <laughs> and so this whole endeavor is wonderful and, and scary all at the same time. So thanks. Thanks, Paul. Douglas. Yeah, thanks, Barb. Thanks, Paul, for those comments. I wanted to, before I make my comments, I wanted to tag on to, to what you were talking about, Paul, and use it kind of wrap that train of thought up with after it's like those people and those meetings. And, and that's how, you know, I'll finish your story out. You know, that's how, you know, you ended with like three and a half years using again, because it was like the alienation piece right there. And, and, and that, you know, I wanted to tag on to that was, was, Look, if you're if you're looking at those situations like Paul described it with the tender skin and the sting and stuff like that, like I I have to I have to say, hey, look, when this stuff comes, not if, when this stuff comes, you know, very very important distinguish there to distinguish between those two. When that comes, I'm still going to participate in my recovery, whatever that looks like, meeting, sponsorship, twelve step, or you know all, all that stuff. I have to I have to continue participating. May not feel good for a moment, man, and it isn't. So, so what I what I need to do even now, there's seasons of recovery. Fuck, man, whatever situation I put myself in, it ain't. It just it, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel. But I have to participate in my own recovery. I wanted to make a connection too. Check this out. It, it talks about so in the first paragraph that was read, we struggle with the belief that we're not good enough, right? So we if we marry that with the sentence all the way at the top of page one thirty eight. In our self-obsession, uh, we'll just look at half of that sentence. In our self-obsession, uh, there is no such thing as enough. Man, if I marry those two, that's the recipe that can, that keeps me in this mode of consuming. I need to consume something outside of myself to get me right inside. I need to. I need to. I need to. And it fucking never, never is sustainable, ever. I mean, short amounts of time where I'm in that oblivion of eating too much or fucking enough or, you know, whatever it is. It's like, there I get that little respite. Fuck, bam, there it is again. And I need to do more and I need to do more and I need to do more. And I think it's just so powerful, man. Like when, it, when I can marry that, I can see, oh, okay, look, I can, I can read that top sentence kind of like currently, Douglas, in my life today, if I'm allowing character defects to, to make my decisions, man, there's no such thing as enough. You know, that, that's kind of cool. And one last comment I wanted to touch on was, was the, a couple paragraphs ago on, on 137. I know Jen can't couldn't be here today, but she she says it's so cool. I got clean at 16. She got clean at 17. And when she talks about that, she says like, hey, she grew up and grew through different phases, almost like under a spotlight in, in the program, like not, you know, like kind of like natural. Hey, this is what you do in your late teens and your early 20s and your mid 20s and and those things. And um, whether it's good or bad. That's that that adds like another layer of like connectivity, you know, with with, with folks and and um and that's what I was thinking about when we were reading that. Uh and and I'm gonna say I'm gonna say another um one thing here about uh the the cycles and stuff that I was talking. I it may deviate just a little bit from the text we just read, but um Barb, you were you know how you were talking about the those cycles and stuff like this. What just happened like an hour ago, my 14-year-old um and he's awesome, man. He's good, but he's naughty. He's about as naughty as you can fucking get, man. He just did. And he got it. God bless him. He got himself a little job across the street at the at the restaurant, you know, running food out the cars and stuff. When you're 14, you could do that. Him and his buddies wanted to hang out over the weekend. And he and he couldn't call out a shift an hour before, right? It has to be 24 hours. He 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 wrote on a COVID test or something, another line. So it looked like he was holding a positive COVID test, took a picture and sent it to his boss. And so he's off the schedule this week and, and, and Sunday. But then he told me that he was going to work. So he put his uniform on and shit and he went to, to hang out with his buddy skateboarding, you know, doing whatever the shit. And then so look, so he lied to me, then lied to his boss and, and they want a doctor's slip before he can come back to work. So the jig's up. So he's caught. So he's found out. So you know what he did today? He just sat me down about an hour or so ago and said, Hey dad, look, I got to talk to you about something. As soon as he said that, as soon as he said, I was like, Oh fuck, what happened? You know, what did you do? He laid out this whole, 
this whole thing. He goes, I'm really ashamed of myself, you know, this and that. He probably isn't, you know, he's working, you know, but here's the thing, man. I, what I didn't do was say, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? You, 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 you can't be trusted. You know, you're, you're, you're this, you're that, um, you know, you, man, I can, I can, I can really remember, um, not being able to put on like a size large shirt. I was so fat as a, as a kid and my mom making fun of me and telling me that I, she, she had had me when she was 15 and all that. And she had said that I was, a, I'm, a, I'm the mistake that ruined her life. I can remember that shit. And here's my son, man, you know, uh, uh, do, doing an asshole thing for sure, being wrong. And then, and then us talking about it. And, and you know what, man, I was able to pause I was able to respond, not to react to the situation. And we got into the solution. I say, look, man, you're, we're, we're going there tomorrow. You're going to tell your boss exactly what happened. Ask for forgiveness. If they fire you, guess what? You've learned a lesson. And if they extend you some grace and you're allowed to work there, you've learned a lesson. You know, and we can have freedom. And Barb, when, when you spoke to my spirit, when you were talking about, we, we do, we break those, we break pieces out. We break pieces of the bondage of, of, of how we came up. And the hope is, man, that the people who, who we interact with, our circle of influence, a spouse, an ex-spouse, or me, a couple ex-spouses, you know, children, what, whatever it is, maybe their life is a little bit better because we, we're clean and, and, and we're in it, you know. And, and uh, so, man, it just really touched my heart when you were talking about that bar because I could see it, man. It's like, it was like the HP is allowing me to say, hey, look, Let's break that cycle. I'm not going to say what the fuck's wrong with you. You know, we can get into the solution today, you know. I think that, and, and next week there'll be something else. Honest to God, no matter if they fire him or do, or, or, or let him continue work, there's something else. So, you know, stay tuned for that. All right, I love you. I want to pass with that. I can remember Douglas telling my son something would come out of my mouth and it would be my mom and I would stop. I'd pause. And then I'd say, you know what, Nick, I don't mean that, you know, that's, that's something that I was told as I was a kid and I'm sorry, I don't mean that. And that's a gift of recovery. You know, that's how we break that cycle. Scotty, come on in. Hey guys, that's some really good stuff. Uh, uh, the, what I was, um, I think what I was thinking of before, of course, this is not on subject with what Doug, Doug was talking about because it was earlier, but it's, um, it's, the, it's that part where it says we're coming to terms with our own humanity. You know, there's some stuff that's happened in the last year in, in, in my home group and in some of my relationships where I've had to end a relationship, a long-term relationship in recovery, one of my best friends. And I had to really sit down and say, you know what? I can't be friends with you anymore. I, I, can't, I can't tolerate being, being manipulated and, and, and the abuse and the, the, the mental abuse. And just, you know, it just, it got too much. And it was, it was really difficult for me because very, very close, like extremely, extremely close. Um, and it kind of put a ripple, you know, through the recovering community where I'm, where I'm from, um, because we had the same home group, and I'm the one that chose to leave our home group. I left a home group, went to another group, um, and, and because I realized in that process that I could get my recovery in, in any group I go to. I could find recovery anywhere, you know, and I'm, I, I, was, I, was, I, was, I had to ask myself, am I, before I made any kind of decision, am I open-minded enough to go somewhere else for my recovery before I make this decision, you know, um, and, 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 you know, at least my sponsor as well knows the whole thing. And it's, it's, it's been a very painful experience for, for me when it comes to relationships. Um, but, but what I do know, and I think, I don't know who said it earlier. Um, I think um, Eva said it, you know, we may not be friends anymore. We are friendly today and we say hi to one another and hug one another. And if I, if I, and, it, and if I felt that I needed to get high today, I could call that person and they would be there. I know that, but I'm also, I, I also, um, I allow people to be in my life who I allow to be in my life, you know, and, and whenever I was using, I didn't make those kind of distinctions. I let anybody walk all over me, treat me any way that they wanted to treat me. Well, I know today that I am good enough and I am lovable, Paul, and, and, and I do deserve respect and integrity in those friendships. And, but what do I do? Also, I give that back. And if I'm not willing to give that back, I need to look at my part of those relationships as well. Um, and that's kind of the part that that some of those 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 old, the, you know, those those old adages, you know, that I was raised with. I'm breaking some of those patterns. I don't have to be cold, calculating, and pretty and nice all the 
time. You know, I can be honest and I can take care of myself and I can tell someone how I feel. And, and, and that's all because of step work in Narcotics Anonymous and knowing what my assets are as well. Knowing what my, my first sponsor told me, anytime I pick up the step work and I still do this, um, I, write, I write a couple of things down that, that I like about myself because step work is hard. You know, I write those down on the side of the page. So I start with something that I, that I like about me and I'll answer a couple of questions and I'll finish it. Okay, what did I learn about myself right there? You know, and I get my sponsees to do that as well. So they don't have this, you know, they're not just thinking so negative all the time. You know, what, 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 who are you today? Yes, you're loving, caring and kind. There you go, but that's enough, that's enough. And sometimes that's all I can come up with myself. Um, but today I know that I'm gonna demand respect in my relationships. Um, because I, I, because I, because I deserve it today. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, act like I did whenever I was high. I'm not gonna live like that. So that's all I got. Thanks, Scotty. I like, I like this too, where the minor problems in a relationship can, um, can magnify our sense that we are inadequate, unlovable, or unworthy. You know, you guys have taught me, I remember one time I was going through some stuff and I was sitting in therapy and it was about relationships, something and my therapist told me, and I, I always remember this, when you do the right thing, it can be lonely sometimes, you know, and I've, I've experienced that many times in recovery. And that's what I tell myself, when you do the right thing, it can be lonely, but do the right thing, you know, and you guys taught me things like um, to be okay with the silence. You know, I've learned no is a complete sentence and to be okay with the silence. I used to have to feel that silence all the time. I couldn't, I was so uncomfortable with it being silent. I would just have to babble, you know, to fill it. And I don't have to do that today. You know, I can sit and when I can get uncomfortable, I can check in with me, see what's going on and still not act, you know. And then um, surrender frees us from feeling that we must constantly make up for being so awful. Um, it says we can deal with our parts, surrender and let go of the rest. You guys taught me that. I, if, some, if my sponsor tells me something, I check in. Does it fit? If it fits, then I own it. And I and and we decide what I'm going to do to work on it, you know. Or if I get into a conflict with somebody and and we say some things, I see does it fit, you know? Are that is it valid what they're saying, you know? And and if it doesn't, I love it, <laughs> you know, because then it's like okay, they're shit. I get to surrender and move on, you know. And and that doesn't always happen. I usually always have a part, unfortunately, always. But um, that's, you know, that's what that's what you guys have taught me. And I like what Scotty said to our own humanity. It's always about it took me a long time to be able to do forgiveness because it took me a long time in early recovery to forgive myself and to forgive my humanity. And I put that person on that pedestal. And when they fell off, I think that was that was the beginning of it, you know, of accepting their humanity and therefore then accepting mine. And, um, and I love where it says in the process, we build relationships with ourselves, our fellow members and our higher power. The greatest gift you guys have given me is the relationship with myself, you know, that I know who I am. I know what makes me tick. You know, I embrace the crazy and stuff. I laugh at myself, all that stuff you guys taught me and with the higher power that I'm a co-creator. I'm not in the driver's seat anymore. And then I'm just going to say this last secure in the love of the fellowship. My heart is unfreezing. When I came in, I was a shell of a human being. I couldn't, I literally could not live and I could not die. And, and I came in and you guys, you know, I can, I can picture, I'm a very visual person, but you guys with your courage and your honesty and the language of the heart, it's like you reached in and grabbed my heart and resuscitated it, you know, and you continue to do that. You know, I'll have them days where street barb, where I numb out and I'm an autopilot and I'm numbing out because I want to, you know, I want to escape. And I go to a meeting and sit there and that courage and that honesty just reaches in and grabs me and I feel, you know, and I feel because that's what I got to do. And I still don't always want to, but that's what I got to do, you know. So um, I'll be forever grateful to Narcotics Anonymous and a bunch of drug addicts that, that, that do that. You know, they had the courage and the honesty and the laughter, you know, to help me heal. Okay, anybody else? Okay, Lee, would you read, let's go to Bridging Two Worlds, Relationships Outside NA. Yes, thanks, Barb. Our NA relationships might not be like any other relationships we have, but that doesn't mean they are the only relationships in our lives or even the only important ones. We have family and friends outside the fellowship. 
our jobs generally bring us into contact with others. Many of us go back to school or find other ways to pursue our goals personally and professionally. We develop interests and skills that have nothing to do with recovery, except that without recovery, it's likely we wouldn't pursue those interests. In pursuing our passions, our careers, our hobbies, we make connections with the world beyond our doors in all kinds of surprising ways. Some of us are part of faith communities or other organizations that have their own ties that bind. In all of these relationships, we learn and grow, practice principles, and try new ways to deal with old feelings. Our anonymity may be something we must guard carefully in order to maintain our place in those worlds. Earthlings, normies, civilians, we use these terms to separate ourselves from people outside the rooms and mistakenly reinforce our own alienation. We struggle with the fear that if we get too integrated into those outside, excuse me, into the outside world, we will slip away from NA. Each of us seeks our own balance that allows us to participate in the world without sacrificing our recovery or putting ourselves at risk. And that's interesting because my first uh, real career in recovery, I dealt with large quantities of other people's money. And so probably, probably the first year, I did not let on anything about recovery or my, my past or, uh, yeah, I protected my anonymity like it was in a vault. Um, and a strange thing happened. I'd started working out with people. The, the, the gym was on the ninth floor. My office was on the 33rd floor. So they would always like, where are you? Are you coming to work out? And, and to, to, to show you how, how thrown off I was, when we would work out, after we would work out, they would be like, Leah, we're going for a beer and pizza. You want to come? And I would be like, no, I can't go. And I would race off and then I would get on the cell phone in the car and call my sponsor. They invited me to go for beer pizza again. And I had said that to him so many times. He finally said, Lee, why don't you just go with them and have a Diet Coke or something? And I was like, you mean I can do that? Because prior to that, the first four years, I had no relationships with people, you know, other than, than, than in the rooms and the beginnings of, of with my family. Um, and a strange thing happened around five or six years at this Christmas gala. We used to have a black tie Christmas gala. A woman, I'm on the dance floor dancing with my date and a woman yells out my name. And when I turn around, she's already kissing me and I can't see who it is. And when I push her away, I realize it's a woman who I used to sell drugs to in active addiction and her last name and the senior partner's last name of the law firm was the same name. And I was so rude and so mean to that guy. I thought he was a knock. I would slam the door in his face. Um, <laughs> and, and it took us about another year to kind of work through all of that. Um, our relationships might not be like any other relationships we have, you know. And so slowly, five, six, seven years, I started integrating into outside relationships. Um, the other day, the just for the day was about uh, vigilance, and and I practiced that. If I went to a, a outside social gathering where alcohol was going to be served, I would always have someone from the program with me. So I think I, I did a good job early on with with the guarding of my recovery. Um, it's different now. Um, my biggest challenge this week is Thursday morning. I'm going to pick up my godchild from Port Arthur. Texas and bring him to Houston for his birthday. And then I would have to go back to page 137, not just our fellow addicts, but our families and those around us, having to deal with my sister who's already demented, um, feels, feels like a huge burden right now because it's not just her, it's her and my oldest brother. Um, and so a part of me wanted to bail on my, on my godchild, you know, to avoid having to deal with her because of, of Narcotics Anonymous and relationships and my sponsor and talking. Uh, I'm gonna pick him up Thursday morning. We're gonna to go to Houston and, 
And once I do the third step, it's no longer my care, you know? Um, so yeah, that's plenty out of me and we are running out of time. Thanks, Barb. Thanks, Lee. Pauls? Yeah, I, um, I, didn't go to, uh, I didn't go to a gay bar for the first four years. I was clean because <laughs> I was scared I was gonna get high. And it was probably a good move on my part, you know, at the time they said, you know, play, play mates, play, you know, <laughs> playgrounds, all of that stuff. And it has value. Um, you know, the, the thing that they don't say is that all of the people that you give up, you're going to get a whole bunch of other people and not just in Narcotics Anonymous, because there was a whole group of my friends who had said, we love you, but <laughs> like Scotty has done with his relationship said, I, I have to put you over here because you're not good for us. Yeah, I can't, I can't be around you. You know what I mean? And so, um, those people didn't stop loving me. They just were for self-preservation <laughs> had to kind of keep me at arm's distance. And so once you start to get clean, doesn't it look, this isn't going to happen in 30 days. So you can't go, I don't know why they haven't called me in 30 days. You know, that doesn't, you know, but over time and over years, things start to, you know, come back. And, uh, and the good news is I don't I don't walk about I, I don't walk around in fear of relapse. I don't have this idea that I will run screaming out of the meeting out into the street, find a needle and jab it in my arm. And that's how I, I'll relapse. That's not how it happens. It's very methodical, very there's red flags all the way. And if I stay like Douglas said, if I stay in the process even when I'm having feelings about the process, somebody or something will alert me to those red flags, either when I'm writing or when I'm talking to my sponsor, if I stay in the process. So there are ways to see things coming if I let myself see it or let others around me in who can see it, um, more to the point. So um, the good news is today I have longstanding relationships. I have a friend that I have known since the fourth grade, and he's just m moved home to take care of his mother, uh, who's 96. And I have that relationship intact because of this fellowship. He can be around me. I can be a friend. We can see each other. I can be there for him. And all of that stuff that I was unable to do has come back. So um, you're gonna give up a lot of friendships when you get clean, but you're gonna get some back. So just know that, and it takes time. Thanks. Thanks, Paul, anybody else? Eva, go ahead, sorry, I didn't see you. That's all right. I, um, really quick, just, you know, I'm married to a normie, and um, <laughs> everybody that knows Brad loves Brad. Love Brad. Um, yay, Brad. Um, but it never dawned on me that calling him a normie might exclude him from some of our world, right? But first thing I told him when I got with him was, listen, if you're going to be a part of my world, you're going to have to figure out what this thing's all about. <laughs> and then I called him a normie. So um, then I had to, after, after I decided he was going to stick around or after he decided I was going to, what, however it worked out, we were going to be together. Um, I had to learn how to live in his world where they, they were never around drug addicts before. <laughs> so, hello, hi, here I am. <laughs> So then I understood why he felt weird when I called him a normie, right? Like, uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't only reinforce our own alienation, but it doesn't allow people who we love to come into our world. And I never really thought about it before. Um, but until we just read that and now I feel bad and I'm gonna have to like, although how normal can he be? He married me. <laughs> He's not that much of a normie. <laughs> Cause if y'all know me, y'all know he can't be normie, right? 
So on that, I'm going to give it back to Barb. Thanks, Eva. I just wanted to read. We had this topic about um, the disease last night at Open Mind, and, and somebody read Vigilant, Keeping Careful Watch for Possible Danger or Difficulties. You know, they say in the sister fellowship, it's cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it is. You know, I, I live, I like, like uh, Douglas said, I wear recovery like a loose garment, I heard. But um, I have to be vigilant because this disease, when I've thought of using, and it's not a lot, but it's been, I've been driving along, going home, maybe a little thirsty, and all of a sudden I think a drink would be nice. And it's like, you didn't even like alcohol. That wasn't your drug of choice, but I, that's where it would hit me out of, out of left field like that. Or I talked about cleaning around the decanter and the lid popped off and I recoiled, you know, it's like, oh my God, what if I get, you know, so I don't play with this disease. I don't, you know, I get to live life and I, and, and I get to stay close to you guys and my higher power and, um, but I don't play with the disease. So I just want to say it's a, a honor and a privilege to do this podcast and to be with you guys. I love you guys to the moon and back. And I love everybody out there. Thanks. Thank you for walking with us on this journey. Please reflect on what was discussed and apply it to your life. Share this resource with anyone you feel led to do so.